Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. Today, we have a very special guest, April Katz Israeli. She is a matrimonial attorney with 25 years experience, and she works in New Jersey at a wonderful law firm called Williams Law Group. Now, she may sound like your normal matrimonial attorney, but she's actually anything but that. As you listen today, you're going to hear about how April as she was practicing as an attorney, had to take a tough look at her own marriage. And what was the determining point when she decided that it was time to get a divorce? She went through that divorce process, but did so in a way that's different. She represented herself, what we call pro se. And April has some really important information that you need to hear if you're considering representing yourself and going pro se. Many women might decide to do pro se because of the cost of divorce. And she has some really good advice to help you keep the cost of divorce as low as possible. So make sure you listen to that. If you've been the non-working couple, the part of the couple, she also has some good tips of how you can keep your toe in the career force to make sure that you can go out there and get a job post-divorce if needed. And make sure you tune in to the end where April gets really real about her own fear of going through divorce and how you can get through it too. Because her ultimate advice is to listen to your gut. And if your gut is telling you that there's something that's not right, you need to listen and you need to do something about that. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our phenomenal guest, April Katz Israeli. So we're really excited to have April here at Financially Ever After. And she brings to us a really interesting point of view and background and something that I think is just fascinating, which is you represented yourself in your own divorce. Yes, I did. After 23 years of marriage, I drafted my agreement. I put all the documents together. I even found an attorney for my then husband to represent him because I didn't want it to be an uneven playing field where he's pro se or what we call self-represented against an attorney who's been doing this for 20 plus years. Before you go on, I just want to say that's really big of you to make sure that he was working with a good attorney. I'll be honest, if I was in your shoes, I don't know if I would have been so nice. I might have given him the shittiest attorney out there, but Good for you. You are a bigger person, I think, than I am. Well, I told him that he can go out and try to retain counsel 
in the area where we were residing. And I said, you're probably going to have a hard time because there's going to be a conflict because I've either worked with the attorneys or they've helped me on other cases. And I actually gave him a list of 10 attorneys. And he said, I think I'm going to have to go to Pennsylvania to find someone to represent me because there's a conflict with all of these attorneys. So I did find someone locally, but I wanted to make sure that it was fair. I've always had the thought that it should just be fair and equitable and you go on with your life. I really wasn't looking for bloodshed, you know, as many people do, not literally, but figuratively. (laughs) And I just thought it would be better for him to understand the process because I couldn't represent myself and give him legal advice at the same time. You know, I certainly could have that conversation, but it would be very odd going through that and formulating an agreement. So I said, this has to be done above board and done the right way. And going into this, you had been a matrimonial attorney working with couples going through divorce for many years. Did you feel like your divorce was going to be seamless and go through easy? Or did you see that there was going to be potentially some problems? I initially saw it as going through very, very smoothly because we had three kids who were almost grown. We had certain various assets, not a great deal of assets. So that wasn't something that was overwhelming. And he and I had actually talked about how we were going to put the terms together, how we were going to talk to the kids about it. And I went through procedurally for him, you know, what the timeline is, like how you file and how long that takes. But I didn't anticipate there were things that happened after we had this conversation that made it a bit less amicable. And that's when things started to get very heated, when monies that were supposed to be going to the household to be used to pay the mortgage or the kids' expenses were now going to pay for trips to California for his paramour or a designer dress for the new girlfriend or something like that. And he viewed it as me being upset about him having a new relationship. And that wasn't it at all. It was about the fact that we have a certain amount of money and we have a certain amount of expenses and these expenses can't be earmarked for someone else when they're supposed to be for the kids and the house and maintaining the household. So things got a little ugly for a couple months. And that's when I realized it's really difficult to maintain being the attorney and being objective and keeping your cool versus being a very upset spouse and all the emotions that go into it because now your kids are suffering because of it. Yeah. So there are some women that go into this process that think that pro se, essentially representing themselves, not having a lawyer might be the right option for them. And I think some of that comes into the fear of the cost of working with a lawyer. What are the pros and cons of representing yourself? And if it's not necessarily the right fit for someone Do you have any ideas, and I'm kind of like putting you on the spot here, ideas of how to keep those legal bills down? Because I I do feel like that's part of what a lot of women worry about. Well, there's several options that are out there today. If it's more creative than it used to be, you need to first figure out 
the kind of relationship you have with your spouse. And this goes both ways, whether it's a you know, husband and wife or if it's a same-sex couple, it's the issues are all the same. There's possibly children involved, division of assets, division of debt. So sometimes people think, well, we can just kind of work out these issues ourselves and come up with an agreement. The problem is they don't know what they don't know. And by the time they get to the end of it and they have this agreement and then let's say three years, you know, going forward into the future, issues come up that weren't thought of. And now how do you deal with it? So it creates litigation. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you may have saved a few dollars up front by not having attorneys and you came up with this basic agreement, but now you're spending the money down the road to basically fix what you should have done in the first place. I feel it's very important to go for a consultation with an experienced divorce attorney. You can choose to go to a mediator. I always recommend that any mediator that you choose, if you feel that comfort level with your husband or wife or partner, that everybody's putting their cards on the table, the mediator can help you. So you have one professional, one expert, rather than two separate attorneys. So that can sometimes be cost effective. Mm -hmm. And they can put together an agreement for you. And then you would need an attorney to simply process the divorce for you once the agreement is put together. The mediator can't be the mediator and the divorce attorney because the mediator is there for the two of you. And then you would hire an attorney or represent yourself to process the divorce once the agreement is done. So there's a lot of issues that people just don't think about until I would say it's too late. It's just the same where we've started to do even premarital counseling. There's so many things that you think you know when you're 23 or 25 or 28 that you're not aware of. What is the other person's mindset about spending? Are they more frugal? Are they more spendthrift? How do they feel about interrelationship with the family, because it's not just the two of you in a bubble, which you think it is when you first get together and it's very romantic and uh, everything is through rose-colored glasses. So we like to bring certain issues to the table, realistic issues, things like how do you feel about managing money? How do you feel about saving money? Are you a saver? Are you a spender? I've met engaged couples where I've sat down with them and had these conversations and It's thought-provoking, and they may get into a little bit of an argument, but that's fine. I'd rather these conversations be had before you get married than afterwards. Exactly, before there's a big problem. And people don't really think about those things when you're in that romantic period, and you may rush to the altar. It may be even a relationship that you've dated for several years. But then when you get married... I find a lot of psychology comes into it. People, many times without even knowing it, take on the role of how their parents were, perhaps how they saw their father behave or their mother behave. And that can be offensive to another person when the person you were dating now is your husband says, well, okay, let's clean the house today. And he says, well, that's your job. Yeah. And that's the first time you're hearing it, but now you're married and it can be very off-putting. So there's a lot of conversations that I think need to be had prior to, and even during, if parties are having issues, if they come to me for a consultation or if they come to me as a mediator, I'll always ask them if they've attempted to go to therapy, even individual therapy, just to work through whatever they perceive the problems to be to try to save the relationship. 
you know, and if not, then it's really where my point of view comes from is I tell them it's pretty academic. It's really a math problem. The hard part is the emotions that go into it, that what someone feels that they are entitled to or that they deserve or funny example is some women have cosmetic surgery done and then two months later they'll file for divorce and the husbands get upset and they'll say well I want the boobs back or I want the money that I spent for that so it gets very emotional people are resentful people are angry sometimes they're just depressed that the relationship has ended there's a whole host of feelings that go into it and my job is to really keep them focused on the issues at hand. And then our firm refers them to to experts in other fields so they can be healthy. We try to take a holistic approach to it so they can be mentally healthy. They get through the divorce as easily as possible without having a lot of emotional baggage. That's where a firm like yours comes in with the money issues. I know there's so much emotion with money and going back to what you had talked about of representing yourself and going pro se of not wanting to spend money, let alone not wanting to spend money on a divorce, maybe even that you don't want. But I think you really laid it out nicely that representing yourself may not be the best piece because number one, you don't know the law. And what was interesting to hear you talk about, April, is that you're a person who knows the law. You do this day in and day out and still found it difficult because it's your divorce. Because you're separate. Yeah. And so going pro se to save money could end up also costing you money down the line Mm -hmm. where things that you didn't think about, all these hosts of things. And I also hear you talking about before you get married, invest in how the two of you deal with money. Talk about how are you going to deal with issues. My husband and I went to pre-Cana and got married in the Catholic church. And it was interesting because some of the questions that we had to talk to each other about, I would have never thought. One of the questions was, if we can't have children, would be we willing to adopt or have a surrogate and I never thought in a million years that we wouldn't be able to have kids. Now, it turned out, last we had no problem. Needless to say, Michael looked at me and I was pregnant. <laughs> but that was a really interesting thing because we found out we had very different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. I was like, of course we're going to adopt. And he was like, there's no way we're adopting. But how powerful is that to have that conversation? And we actually came to an agreement of what we would actually do. It is very powerful. And many times... <clears throat> Certainly, I think back to how I was at 23 versus being 52. I may have had a completely different mindset when I was 23 if someone brought that issue up and I didn't have any issues having children of my own. But you do think about it. I do have a sibling and he and his wife adopted a little girl from Russia. And then also the the issues of having a surrogate or even going through the expense, the in vitro, the IVFs that that people go through. And it takes a toll. And people come to us a lot where the relationship is breaking down because they've had the pressures of these issues of not being able to have a baby. And sometimes they want to put the fault on one person or the other. And it's a lot to work through. And then there's, of course, the issues where 
people have children and then you have special needs children and that creates a whole nother host of issues and pressures. It's hard enough, you know, raising what I'll just call, for lack of a better word, quote unquote, normal family, everybody's healthy, mainstream children or even spouses. And then something happens, a health issue occurs, or you have a child with special needs and severe special needs. And I've had couples come to me and they're getting divorced and other people from the outside say, how could they be getting divorced? They have this child together. That's so cruel, but they can't function anymore as a married couple because they're both investing so much of themselves into the child. And of course they want what's best for their child. But it's just too much. The pressures or the stress and everybody has different thresholds Mm -hmm. of what they can take and what they can't take. I was reading a statistic lately and it was very scary. 80% of couples who have special needs children end up getting divorced. I don't find that surprising. Wow. Because in a what I'll call garden variety divorce, typical issues are financial struggles, the stress that comes from that, somebody loses a job infidelity. Mm -hmm. Those things cause, those are great stressors. And just living life, normal moving, moving from house to house. There might be a death in the family, just normal lifestyle, life cycle. Yeah, normal events that are difficult. And then you throw on top of it some exceedingly extra work that you're going to have to do with respect to one child, or maybe you have triplets or whatever it might be you go down the rabbit hole and it's difficult to come back from that. And people break up for a lot of different reasons when they have special needs children, but it's all about having the conversation up front. And, you know, if you can heal the marriage and heal the relationship, that's great. But you try to always do what's best for the child when there are children involved. I mean, that's always my focus. Whoever I represent, I will always tell them, I am going to do what is best for your child. And you may not like what I have to say, but if I think that they're better off with mom or with dad or whatever scenario I might propose, that's first and foremost. And that's what the court will always look at as well. I mean, I think we all can identify with how stressful having kids can be. I mean, just today, April, I was on a really important conversation. I'm writing a book, which I'm very excited. It's taking me 10 years to kind of get my big girl panties on. (laughs) And I was on the phone with the person who's helping me write it. And within a span of 10 minutes, I got not one, not two, but three phone calls about my children. Now, granted, I only have two children, (laughs) but managed three phone calls. And I had to pick them up because I could see that they were from the schools And it's okay. Everyone's all right. But I have to say, I got really frustrated. Mm -hmm. And my first thing is I text my husband. I'm like, why are they calling me? Why do they not call the father? This is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right? And it kind of goes to, I'm pissed off. Now, granted, emergency contact, they have us both listed. We always list both of us. Right. But it turns out that they're always calling me because I'm quote unquote, the mom. Mm -hmm. And so having children when there are not always things going rosy and my son does have special needs, it is really hard. Mm -hmm. It is really hard. And I will be honest that there was a point where my husband and I did talk about breaking up Mm -hmm. because it was just 
too much. It was too much. And it got down to not helping with the dishes or, I mean, stupid small stuff, Mm -hmm. but just, I had had it. Yeah. I really had it. You know, we'll we'll make jokes or we'll talk about the various stories in the office, but it does come down to the little things you talk about putting the dishes in the dishwasher, changing the toilet paper roll. No one does that in my house, I know. Finishing up something and leaving one cookie in the package and not writing down on the grocery list that, okay, we need cookies or crackers or whatever it might be. Laundry, just all the little things. If the garbage can is left out on the curb all day, and sometimes I leave it there deliberately because I want to see if one of the kids is going to bring it in. Sometimes I'm happily surprised and other times I'm like, figures. So it's all about having that conversation before it gets to the point where you want to snap someone's head off because they didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher the way that you like them to do it. There were many examples in my former marriage where my ex would criticize me about silly things like that. And I just felt that I was working full time, I was raising three kids, and it was right around the time where my mother passed away. And it was just such a bizarre remark from him to be upset with me that I left dirty dishes in the sink and said that I'll get to them in the morning. And it was like looking at an alien. I'm like, I I can't do this. So that's actually is a question I want to ask you, April, because you dealt with divorce and still do every single day. How did you know in your own marriage that it was over? Because we put someone like you up on a pedestal that you know everything. Mm -hmm. Were you 100% clear when you made the decision? And how did you know that was the right thing? Because so many women listening are thinking, is divorce really right for me? And maybe even in the process, maybe not 150% sure. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, I started thinking about leaving my husband very early on in the marriage Mm -hmm. for various reasons. We had gone to this party once and there was an incident where I got upset because he was clearly engaging with other women And I said, we need to leave. And we left. And then it turned into a really bad fight. And it was about three months after we got married. And I said, I'm done. I'm done with this. But then on the other side, I didn't like the idea of, one, getting divorced. It felt like a failure. And I'm like, okay, maybe we can work through this. And and we were just married three months. I come from a big family and I love the cohesiveness of that. And my parents were married 56 years before they passed away. And there's something to be said for that. So over the years, we went to therapy and there would be good years and there would be bad years. But it was mostly fear that kept me from doing it until finally... I just didn't care anymore. And I don't know why it took me 23 years. It should have probably taken me five or 10, but then the kids were little and we ended up having three children. And then there would be good moments and you kind of hang on to that. And then you get in these horrible fights and then you're like, okay, I want to be done. And then you think about the kids and how young they are and the running back and forth from school and parties and sports. And it's, incredible when they're in that three-year-old to 11-year-old range. 
So in my mind, I thought, okay, I'll wait till my youngest graduates from high school, which is actually happening this year, but it just wasn't working. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And we both actually agreed. It was the first thing that we actually had agreed upon in a very long time. And we both felt very relieved about it because probably the first honest conversation that we had in a very long time. We ended up essentially just living under the same roof, but living separate lives. He would go to work, do sports, go out with friends. I would work, deal with the kids, do different things with girlfriends. But really, I was losing myself and I was in a really bad place. And I just, for some reason, maybe it was just I had to get to that stage or I had to get to that age. I'm not a quitter. And sometimes that's a bad thing. And I felt that it was weak of me to stay so long, but other people view it as, well, it's probably because you just can take so much abuse that it lasted so long because other people would not have been able to endure what what you were enduring for five, 10, 15, 20, you know, 23 years. So you look at it with a different perspective and it was the healthiest thing I did for myself really was. You know, I think what's really special about you sharing this is that I can only imagine how many women come to you that have lived that same path too, that have stayed because of fear, that have stayed because of sticking it through. And so many women are nervous when they're going into a lawyer's office or a financial person like myself, that they're going to be judged. And I think what's so special and unique is that you're not going to judge them. Never. I don't judge. People come from all walks of life. And one thing I think about many times is I think I'm educated, I'm specifically a divorce attorney, and I'm working, making money, and I'm still afraid to leave. So I think to myself, I can't imagine someone who has not been in the workforce for the last 15 years. You know, they went to college, they're educated, but they've basically been a stay-at-home mom. And maybe that was the mutual decision that dad would go out and work and mom would stay home and take care of the kids. So not only are they not a lawyer or a divorce lawyer, they haven't worked, they haven't been in the workforce, and now are told, well, you are going to have income imputed to you and you you need to go back and work full time. And that's terrifying to a lot of women, especially when they're in their 40s, 50s and 60s. And I even had a divorce where the couple was in their 70s. And, you know, different issues start coming up because you start talking about pensions and retirement plans and you're already in that process and life insurance and even if it's still attainable. So... Try not to let fear keep you from doing what you know in your heart is right, because you're going to be having those feelings and you're going to push them down and you're going to lose part of yourself. And you're either going to be depressed, which I experienced, you gain weight, or you're not going to want to be part of any type of social groups, even at a temple or a church. You don't want to socialize. You don't want to be part of things because you're really disappearing. And especially if the person is not... Well, physical abuse is a whole different story, and those are relationships that need to end. But it's the subtle mental and emotional abuse 
of being humiliated and in front of other people and you can't say anything back, constantly being told you're fat, you're stupid, you're ugly, you have no friends, things like this. And for some reason, I think, I don't know if it's human nature, but you tend to believe the bad stuff over the good stuff. Even if someone is telling you, oh my God, you're a lawyer, you're this, why don't you leave? And Mm -hmm. you just don't have that confidence, you know? And I think women struggle with self-worth and confidence a lot. Yeah. It takes 10 compliments to offset one negative comment. Yeah, if you're lucky. (laughs) Women hang on to things. And I know, just speaking for myself, I'm my own worst critic. I'm very hard on myself. And my daughter made a comment the other day, which I thought was very smart. And she said that don't say something to someone if it's something they can't fix in 10 seconds. So, okay, they have lipstick on their teeth or their hair is whatever. Oh, wow, you should lose 50 pounds or something else. Maybe that they're going to criticize your mental capacity or your physical capacity. So I said, that's very smart. And I said, you will keep friends a lot longer. I said, plus it's cruel. I think no matter who you are or what you look like, women are always their biggest self-critics with respect to physical beauty. There's pressures from all over the place and you could, we could spend hours just talking about that and all the images that you see and are inundated with over the years. And when I think back to the 1980s when I was a teenager and that's when I grew up and there was a specific image and now there's basically anything goes, but it's still out there. It's still these pressures, all kinds of different pressures. And that's all inside your head. So you really need to get into a good place. And for me, it took 23 years. It's a journey. I feel though, the older we get, the better life gets in the sense that all those pressures we have, slowly we work through them Mm -hmm. and come to self-acceptance and uh, self-love and I just really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. Before we go, yeah. I want to be able to have you share some exciting news that you have because I read that you just won an award. And I'd also love to have you share how women can reach out to you. Yes. I recently I won an award for 2019 as a mentor of the year, and it's given by the New Jersey Law Journal for professionalism. And I had spoken with my boss, Allison Williams, about it because I found myself in this office speaking to a lot of the younger attorneys and helping them. I mean, I didn't think anything of it, but when I saw the criteria for the different categories for yeah. these awards, I said, well, I guess that's what I do. So she was kind enough to write something for me and submit it for me. And I was chosen from quite a large field of people and much bigger firms. So it's nice to be appreciated for the things I've really always done. I've always felt that a helping hand is worthwhile and I don't do it to get something back. I get something out of it by helping them feel better about it because I've been in that position of being the new kid on the block and not knowing what to do and just helping an adversary called and they hadn't done a lot of divorce work and... 
I essentially gave them a cheat sheet of what to say when they were in court to put this matter through. And they sent me flowers the next day and they're like, to the greatest lawyer in the world. Oh, and, and, I feel good. and I said, it was no big deal. But they also comment that most people don't do that. And I've just always been that way. I think the more you give, the more you get. And I have to say too, you've given so much today and you've been so real and it's really powerful for all of the women listening that are feeling the fear, feeling the nervousness, the not, do I stick it out? That one of the most experienced matrimonial attorneys, you felt that too. And that, that gives the ability for each of these women to know that it's okay to feel that way. It's okay. And if you're having that voice tell you that something is wrong, something is wrong. And don't be embarrassed to go to a friend or a clergy member or a coworker, someone who you confide in to talk about it, to find out what steps you can take. Because it may not lead to divorce, but you have to get it out of yourself and get it out there because it's very unhealthy to internalize it because then it manifests itself. I've seen too many times where it manifests itself as cancer or someone has a stroke or a heart attack and it's solely due to the internalizing of all of those feelings. So I've lived through quite a bit and I really, I just encourage people to, if you feel that it's the right decision, then take the steps to give yourself that opportunity. Oh, thank you, April. And how can our listeners reach out to you? I have a Meta firm in Short Hills, New Jersey. It's called the Williams Law Group. And the website is familylawyersnewjersey.com. And you can also call 908-810-1083. And certainly you can Google my name, April Katz Israeli. And there's numerous ways you can get in touch. And April, what we'll do, we'll put your website phone number, email, right on the show notes. So all of you listening, you can go to the show notes and get that information. And just wanted to say great big thank you to April for being here and a great big thank you to you for listening to Financially Ever After. Thank you. What is most powerful about this podcast is that you heard a woman who has spent the last 25 years of her life working with individuals going through divorce. But yet what we heard from April was that she experienced the same fear about being on her own, the same shame about her marriage potentially not working, and the same worries and anxieties that so many of you listening to your podcasts have felt too. I I'm so thankful that she shared that because guess what? So many of us worry about being judged and you can hear that, guess what? You don't need to be judged. You don't need to judge yourself. No one else is going to judge you. Here's a woman who spent a quarter decade doing this work and she lived it as well and felt exactly the same things as you. So please continue to listen to Financially Ever After and invest in yourself. Take care of yourself because this is one of the hardest times that most people ever have to live through. But what I can 
confidently tell you both from April and the hundreds of other women that we've talked to that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Studies show that 85% of women who have been and gone through divorce feel unbelievably confident about their decision and would do it all over again. So with that, I leave you from Financially Ever After. We'll be seeing you in two weeks.